Hello, and welcome to the 19th episode of Inside the Brain Of, where I will interview a movement specialist to get inside their brain and try to understand how they incorporate neurokinetic therapy into their approach to patient or client management. My name is Eric Nelson. I'm a board-certified sports chiropractor and NKT instructor. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not an NKT provider, hopefully uh, this will give you some insight as to what NKT is and how you can utilize it to help your patients or clients. Now, make sure if you get a chance that you check out my Facebook page at Inside Your Brain and like that, and feel free to share that with your friends that might be interested in NKT. Also, uh, note that these podcasts are available for free on iTunes, and I think I just recently posted a link on that Inside Your Brain Facebook page to that. So make sure you check that out, and if you like what you hear, please uh, leave a review. I'd greatly appreciate that. Now, uh, before I get into my interview, I'm I'm really excited about my interview tonight, Uh, but before I get into that, I, I always like to throw in a little advice about uh, using NKT or, or something related to that. Uh, but today I want to talk about something that we talk about a lot uh, in NKT, especially when we teach uh, at all different levels. Uh, but I think it's always good to hear it again because sometimes we forget or overlook it, and it's something that we see all the time with our patients. And if we're not seeing it, we need to look harder. And if we're having trouble uh, with some of our cases, I guarantee you that this concept that I'm going to talk about right now is probably has some uh, part uh, in their issue. So what I'm referring to here is that we need to pay attention to our patient or client's cheating patterns, otherwise known as compensation. So things like holding their breath, biting down, clenching or grabbing with their fingers or toes, you know, like they might grab the table, uh, or if you're uh, doing a single leg stance, they might be grabbing the floor with their toes. Uh, something else to look at is closing their eyes and even bearing down and clenching their pelvic floor. Uh, these are all things that if you just keep an eye on your patient, you can see that they're doing it uh, because this can really affect your testing. And it might if you pay attention to it and you find these things, it can lead you to help figure out their, their primary issue a lot of times. Uh, I know we can in level two a little bit more, but holding of the breath could indicate uh, a diaphragm problem. Now, again, as we always say with NKT, there are no absolutes, and these things might not have anything to do with your patient's problem. But if you're struggling, uh, you definitely want to keep an eye at that. But when someone's holding their breath, there's a good chance there's something going on with their breathing patterns. They probably have a faulty pattern, and they probably have an overactive diaphragm. Another common one that sometimes it's, it's tough to see, but really um, when you start looking at it, you'll notice it more. Uh, and that's when, when clients, when you're testing, that they tend to bite down. And that can indicate an issue with their jaw. Um, a lot of times I see pterygoid issues or masseter issues or even temporalis issues. Uh, but a lot of times it's subtle. And I had a patient uh, this week. She's an Olympic weightlifter, and we've been struggling uh, with her shoulder. She's been struggling with some neck and shoulder issues. And when I had her, uh, I was testing her transverse abdominis, and it seemed normal, but I just, something wasn't sitting right. I just looked at her closely, and I realized that as subtle as it was, she was biting down with her teeth. And sure enough, when I had her relax her jaw, boom, her transverse abdominis uh, uh, blew right out. And that really helped significantly because I've, I've been watching some video of her lifting for the past two days, and I've noticed that her overhead stuff, uh, her, her jerks and her snatch have improved significantly. So again, it was extremely subtle, but I kept an eye on it and I saw it and sure enough, she came out and started telling me, oh yeah, I grind my teeth every night. I'm going to the orthodontist. He's making me. So when you, when you start to talk to your patients, and I've talked about this before, is getting into their history a little bit, they start volunteering information. You just have to know the right questions, but really keep an eye on it. Another big one, too, is, is watching them with their hands, grabbing down. Um, I, I see it all the time. In fact, um, 
I was having a patient with a pelvic floor issue. I couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And it turned out um, that she was actually grabbing the table every time I was trying to test her. And it turned out that her muscles in her hand were directly related to her in, inhibited pelvic floor. It was pretty amazing in her history. I've kind of explained that a little bit as well, too. Um, but again, kind of important, uh, especially if you work with people that lift weights, is that you'll you, that you you'll see them grabbing with their hands a lot, and they might have a grip issue. So it's something you want to take a look at. I mentioned before um, with the single leg stance, watching people grab with their toes. Now some grabbing might be okay, but excessive stuff is an issue. And then when you go and palpate their flexor digitorum longus or flexor hallucis longus, they might jump off the table because those muscles are so overactive from grabbing down. Another one, again, that we talk about in um, level two is the pelvic floor. And so many people bear down, when they, especially with the transverse abdominis, they're trying to compensate. Um, so, again, you can see the patient doing that as you're testing them. So, again, these are common cheat patterns that we see, and they're very important to identify because, again, what we're looking for is a neural lock uh, with a muscle when we're testing it. And sometimes if someone's cheating or overcompensating, that could be uh, um, giving you a false positive here. So, again, look for these key cheat patterns. We talk about them at all different levels and definitely introduce them in level one and get more specific in level two. But, again, they can affect your testing and even uh, lead you to your patient or client's primary issue. Again, uh, very important stuff. If you have any questions about that or anything else MKT related, you feel free to send me a message through Facebook or my email at chirorehab at hotmail.com. Because, uh, again, we're always interested in helping you out. Now, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, the main reason I started it was because there's so many incredible practitioners from all different professions that utilize NKT. And I was uh, real curious about how they incorporate uh, NKT into their approach to patient or client management. In fact, uh, my last podcast, episode 18, uh, I interviewed Aeneas, uh, who's a medical doctor, and he uses prolotherapy and neuroprolotherapy uh, with his approach uh, with NKT. And I just thought that was extremely fascinating, and that's exactly uh, the reason I started this podcast, because I want to see how these people are using it, and it, it just blows me away. It's, these are so educational for me as well, and I, I couldn't be more happy to interview um, everybody that I possibly can. Now, I know um, that uh, as interested and curious as I am, I'm, I know that many people are because I keep receiving some great messages. Uh, if you do have anybody that you're interested in hearing, uh, I do have a bunch of people on my list, but uh, I'm always uh, open to suggestions. And if I've told you that uh, I'm going to interview you, I'm trying my best to get, to get through the list. So uh, please bear with me and feel free to send me a reminder, uh, you know, saying that, hey, you know, when, when – uh, when would you like to interview me? Because uh, I've got a lot going on and I'm trying to keep everything straight here. But like I said, we have so many different types of practitioners in our community. I've interviewed all sorts from chiros, uh, physical therapists, massage therapists, kettlebell instructors, uh, personal trainers, a medical doctor last week. Well, tonight I'm, I'm very excited to interview a movement educator who uses acupuncture and Pilates with her clients. Uh, so I'm very excited because I uh, utilize a little bit of Pilates rehab myself. So I'm very excited tonight to get inside the brain of Carolyn Watson. Hey, Carolyn, how's it going? It's going well, Eric. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank yeah. you. Well, well, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, greatly appreciate it. I'm very, as I mentioned, I'm very, very interested to get inside your brain. So um, why don't we start? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, where do you, where do you live? What do you practice? You know, give me those uh, basic information yeah. there. Well, I live on the West Coast, so out in the Pacific Northwest in a town of about 60,000 people, um, Bellingham, Washington. So it's where Western Washington University is located, and we're right on the water. And it's just a beautiful place to live. I've lived all over the country, and I chose here because you can live on the water and be a half hour from the Cascade Mountains and 20 minutes from the Canadian border and there's an international airport in our town. So, and world-class mountain biking, you know, outside my backyard. So just, it's a great place for people who like to be outside and move. So that's where I've lived since 
about 1998. Um, and I have a movement studio, Core Kinetics Movement in Pilates here, which we just moved into a new 5,200 square foot clinic area, and it's amazing. So we have a rolfer, a physical therapist, I do my acupuncture, we have a massage therapist, and then nine different personal trainers and Pilates teachers all doing their thing. And we work cooperatively on cases, and it's, it's amazing. So I wake up every day happy with where I live and happy to go to work. So it's a good, good right now. It, it, sounds, it sounds pretty amazing. Now, what... Um What's your educational background? What did you What did you major in in college? What kind of degrees? Did you well, it took me a long time to get through college. So right out of high school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. So I went off to Humboldt State University to study journalism, and was paying out of state tuition in California, and ran out of money. So I moved back home and started the whole let's find a college process again. I ended up getting a journalism scholarship to Utah State University, and I ran track and cross country at that point, too. So I was there as an athlete and as a scholar athlete. So I finished out three years of journalism school at Utah State. And then I had the kind of meltdown that we sometimes have in our early 20s where, you know, <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast, but I quit. Um, I quit everything. I, I had a case where I covered a murder. And it blew my mind, and I realized I didn't want to be a journalist anymore because I didn't like knocking on people's doors after a loved one died and saying, how do you feel? Um, that was really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I was winning awards and getting offered jobs, and there came this point where I had to go be the person who asked the tough questions and cause other people discomfort in doing my job, and I didn't like it. So I quit. I just I, I quit, and I moved on top of a mountain and didn't go back to college for about eight years. So, so when I went back again, um, I decided to do something totally different. So I'd been working as a personal trainer, you know, kind of parlaying my experiences in an athlete, and I went to some workshops and got certified. So I was working as a personal trainer, and I realized I really didn't know enough to truly change people's lives. So I was living in Bellingham, went to Western, and finished my bachelor's degree, which took a while because you know journalism credits don't transfer so well to <laughs> exercise physiology credits, but we got through that. And at that point, I ended up being a single mom. So I was divorced, and I had a six-year-old, and I didn't know what else to do. I was still a little uncertain about my life, so I just kept going and got my master's degree there in human movement. And in that time, I really sorted a lot of things out. So life became stable. I opened my own practice. Um, You know, I had a few more letters after my name, which... I don't know how important that is for everybody, but it, it grounded me. It, it made me just feel confident to say, I know what I'm doing. I don't know how much I learned in grad school, but I got confident in grad school. And, you know, that gets me into my 30s, and, and I just I taught Pilates and movement for, for year after year after year until uh, we get to about 2010. And that's when I realized I wanted to know more. And so I went back to school again and got a master's degree in East Asian medicine. So that's the that's the long version of the short story. <laughs> that's a that's definitely an interesting stretch. Now, where did you um do your Pilates training through? So I did my Pilates training through Polestar, and oh, Polestar nice. is based out of Miami, and they 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 are known for teaching rehab professionals. And Brett Anderson is a DPT who runs the whole show there, and he's a brilliant brilliant practitioner clinician, researcher, and just a really creative fellow. And I was really fortunate that when I needed a place to do Pilates training, he happened to be um, running trainings up in Vancouver. So Bellingham is just across the border from Vancouver. So if I hit the border traffic, right, I can be in downtown Vancouver in about 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. So I got I got really, really lucky. I went up there, and Sherry Betts is a physical therapist from Santa Cruz, California, and she was the trainer. And she was just starting out her career as a master trainer, but she's now considered one of the best Pilates teachers in the world. You know, she's one of those top five presenters out there, and she specializes in osteoporosis and working with people with different motor patterns, and, and that was my first teacher. So I got really, really, really lucky that my first experience in Pilates was with somebody who was amazing and, and was going to go on to be one of the, the top people in our field and that I was in an organization that was really concerned about motor control and patterns, so not just learning classical Pilates exercises, but modifying them to work with people with a true eye towards motor learning. So that's 
that was great. And that's that's where I, I started. Awesome. That's um, where my wife and I um, have training through as well, too, through Polestar. Through Polestar? Yeah. They're, inc- they're incredible. I think a lot of people don't understand when they're shopping around what they offer that other places don't. You know, just that, that ability to make Pilates something that fits into a system as opposed to just saying, you know, here's Pilates, do it or, or don't do it. Definitely. In fact, I was uh, at their annual convention in Miami. I think it was like 2005 because I think my daughter was like one. I was actually on a panel uh, discussion about how I utilize chiropractic and Pilates. It was pretty, it was pretty neat. Oh, very cool. Cool stuff. Yeah, awesome. So, and then I noticed, I know you mentioned um, that now you're a faculty member with uh, Balanced Body. What exactly do you do with them? So I work for Balanced Body. They're an equipment manufacturer, but also now a teacher training organization, an education organization based out of Sacramento. And I teach Pilates instructor training. So out of my studio, I certify instructors. We have a comprehensive program that teaches all the apparatus, we teach anatomy and kinesiology to Pilates teachers. We do the whole thing from start to finish. So I, I do that. I work through them. So people take the classes through me, and we use the balanced body curriculum. And when they finish, they're eligible to test out and be certified through balanced body. Excellent, excellent. Great. And so you did that. And then so I guess um, you did, I guess next up in your career was the acupuncture thing, right? So you went to acupuncture. Acupuncture is the most, yeah, that's the most current. So I've been teaching with, I've been teaching with Balanced Body for about seven years now. So the acupuncture is the newest thing. And I started school in 2010. So I had been thinking for most of my, you know, the last five or six years that I, I wanted to add something in the medical arsenal to my, my toolkit. You know, I felt like I could, do so much with movement patterning and movement education and Pilates, and then I'd hit a wall. And if I couldn't solve it all with those tools, I had to refer people out. And after you develop a relationship with a client, they don't always want to go meet a new friend, you know, and and, uh, sometimes they get lost in that process. So I wanted some more tools to really be able to meet people where they were at and look at all the different patterns that might be contributing to their, their issue. You know, compensation patterns aren't the end all of it. There's lifestyle patterns and ergonomic patterns and underlying health issues that contribute to what what people feel and how their pain um, shows up in their body. And I wanted to understand those things. And at first, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll go to physical therapy school or maybe I'll go to chiropractic college. But I have little kids and I couldn't quite figure out where that was going to fit in. And then an acupuncture college um, just magically opened 20 minutes south of my house with weekend classes that were, you know, perfectly suited for my schedule. Um, so so that piqued my interest, and I sent an application and got accepted, and then um, I actually chickened out. You know, it was August, and I, we were talking about this, you and I, the other night, but I, I, I chickened out, and I didn't, I told them, no, I wasn't going to go. I'm not going to go. I can't afford it. Why on earth would I take this on in my busy life? And... Uh, I changed my mind, obviously, but that was a big that was a big deal, and it's not too long ago. Um, so that's my recent recent history. Excellent. And um, so you started doing acupuncture, and then where did NKT come into play? Well, I think I just am the luckiest person there ever was because you know <laughs> I stumble upon things, and I can't take credit for trying to stumble upon them. I'm I'm, I'm open, and I expect. Um, life-changing things to happen every day, and, and it turns out they do. You know, so I had just started an acupuncture school. Um, they offered me a position teaching anatomy there and, and paid about a third of my tuition, which turned my I'm not going to go into a yes. So I get going with that, and pretty quickly in that journey, I started to read about these just different different ways of using acupuncture in orthopedic settings. So I decided right away out of the gate that I – really wanted to learn orthopedic acupuncture well. So even as a first-year student, I was doing extra projects on that and reading more. And then one day on Facebook, I love stories that always start with Facebook. It's sometimes, I think, the most (laughs) useful and most horrible invention to ever come down the pipeline. Um, It sucks so much of my time, but so many amazing things in my life (laughs) exist because of Facebook. So I was reading my feed, and Randy Huntington, who 
is a international track coach. Um, he's in Asia right now. I think he's either working with the Korean national track team or the Chinese track team. I'm not quite sure. I lose track of him. But he was one of my former track coaches. So he's a Facebook friend. And one day he wrote this post about um, NKT and David and about how it's the most amazing thing and you should send people to go see somebody who does NKT. I'm like, well, what is NKT and who is David Weinstock and why is this on my Facebook feed? And so, you know, I start, I start Googling and I start looking and I go to the NKT website and here's this whole page about why a Pilates instructor could use NKT, you know, because at this point I don't have an acupuncture license. So the only thing I can do day in and day out is teach Pilates. Um, and I'm intrigued, and I'm, I'm reading the testimonials, and I'm I'm looking it all up, and, you know, it's looking awfully great. And so I very impulsively just sign up for a training in Mill Valley. Um, so I just say, sure, I'm going to go. Not ever having had a session, not having ever talked to anybody, but just knowing that I trust Randy Huntington, and if he says this is something you should do, I'm going to do it. Um, very coach and athlete. If Randy says go, I've always just gone. So I signed up, and the really amazing thing is my NKT experience started when I was in still in acupuncture school as an intern, so I got to learn both of those techniques simultaneously, and I think that's been the most amazing thing for me because I didn't go learn acupuncture and then have to figure out how to put NKT in it. I learned NKT while I was learning acupuncture. So my way of assessing and my way of looking at a body really it, – it, it developed very organically um, because those things were all happening at the same time. As in my internship um, in acupuncture school, I just started using it in all of my assessments with any orthopedic case that came in. So it just I started trying things until I found a workflow that that worked. So I was experimenting with workflow before I you know had my license and was in my clinic and found that I to figure out what was going on with a patient in an amazingly, um, not just effective, but very efficient way. Um, and, and I just I fell in love with it. I loved the fact that I could test my hypothesis of what was going to help the person on the table right then and there. I didn't have to do all the needles, wait 20 minutes, and come back in and say, hey, are you feeling better? Um, oh, shoot, you're not. You know, I could know from the get-go that my treatment was affecting and, and directed towards their, their pattern. And that was exciting. Still is exciting. Every day it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's pretty neat because, um, I, I, like I said, I, I don't know too much about acupuncture. So can you just, I mean, can you give us a basic uh, overview of what acupuncture is and how you utilize it? Yeah, well, acup I mean, most people have some familiarity with the idea of acupuncture working on meridian lines and using needles. And so, you ask the average, you know, I think U.S., you know, North American citizen, I think throughout our country, um, acupuncture is pretty prevalent, both U.S. and, and Canada. Um, it's a little different in Asia. I think it's more commonplace, more so than even here. But most people are familiar with those ideas of there's chi, there's meridians, and there's needles. But the reality of it is it's a little bit more complex because there are things we know and things we don't know. So the first thing we don't know is we don't know what chi is. Um, it's described in our books as a life force, but all the research and studies so far hasn't given us an idea of what chi is. So when I say chi, it's a placeholder describing a term that I don't, I don't really understand. But what we do know is that electrons follow chi. So when you're working on a meridian with a needle, we know that electrons are moving to and fro. They're, they're following that chi. We might not know what the chi is, and hopefully we'll figure out what it is someday, or maybe we don't ever need to know. I guess after 2,000 years, maybe it'll be fine. But we're definitely manipulating something through these lines. Um, so that's the first idea. And the second idea is that we're always striving for balance. So we want this, these, these chi rivers to be balanced throughout the body, and that disease comes forth when the balance isn't there. So all disease springs from imbalance. It's I mean, really rooted in Taoist thought, and you know, as history has evolved and political regimes have changed in China, some of the terms have gone away, but it, it really comes into to this Taoist idea of everything being in balance and everything being interconnected and nothing being independent of any other variable. So we get those ideas um, really as our foundation. Now, what I was fascinated to learn in school 
is that there are 12 main meridians that we're most mostly familiar with as practitioners. But then there are several other sets of meridians that match up with those 12. And the set that I use in NKT are called the sinew channels. And the sinew channels um, correspond with the main meridians, but they're much more superficial. And in the ancient texts, they're referred to as the ones that feed chi to the muscles, to the muscles in the connective tissue. And they're very separate from the ones that run through organs, but again, they're all connected. So they have ways of feeding each other and crossing over, but the style of orthopedic acupuncture I like to play with the most involves those sinew channels working with NKT in those. So acupuncture is really just a system of working on our entire body, and they've written different, um, oh, I guess different guides to it over thousands of years, different ways of organizing it. So it's hard to say here's what it is because it's changed and evolved over and over and over again. So there's almost an infinite number of ways to view what's going on. But if we think of balance and we think of working in lines and patterns, um, that's, that's a good start. Excellent. So, um, so how exactly do you use NKT with acupuncture? Well, so let's say somebody comes in, um, and oh, what's a good, what's a good one? Well, something really common. So let's say somebody comes in and they say they they point to their posterior hip right about where the piriformis is, and they say, you know, it really hurts here, and you know this happens all the time. So they walk in, they point. Well, in regular acupuncture, you know, non-NKT infused, we'd look at that and we'd try to determine what channel their pain was on. So in that case, it would be gallbladder, bladder channel. You know, you, you assess and you treat that channel. And usually, you know, with some needles placed into trigger points or tender points in the piriformis, you can get that muscle to relax and away people go, um, usually feeling a little bit better. But just like in all other modalities, there's a really good chance they're going to come back in a few weeks later with that same problem or if they repeat the same, you know, movement that got them there in the first place, that can come back. I mean, sometimes things are magically all better, but we get into the same problems in acupuncture we get in all orthopedic fields. If you just keep chasing symptoms, you're going to perpetually be chasing symptoms. So with NKT, I would start just using the same NKT workflow we all do where you know, they point to the piriformis, and I say, okay, that's interesting, and I just start testing, you know. I try to see what's facilitated, what's inhibited, how they link up. Um, really no different than I think any practitioner would. Once I get that information, I, I do a couple of things that are a little different. Um, the first thing I do is I start to TL different acupuncture points to see how they affect the inhibited structure. So, you know, if I find... Um, you know, a contralateral glute inhibited. And, you know, it, and let's say, say that's what I find. So I've got this inhibited glute on my hands and I've got a, a facilitated piriformis. I'm going to use my hands and just palpate these different points, um, typically on the feet in this case, to find one that brings that glute back to life. And so nine times out of ten, there's an acupuncture point that if I TL it, will cause a neural lock on that glute. And so when I treat, I treat both. I treat the acupuncture point that causes the inhibited muscle to have a neural lock, and I treat the facilitation. So I do both of those mm. things, and it's just incredible. I mean, it can get more complicated than that, but that's the general idea is making sure that I'm looking for both. And sometimes, um, sometimes if I can't find a true facilitator that really causes a neural lock, I'll focus more on the acupuncture and clear the pattern that way. And vice versa, sometimes I don't find an acupuncture point that really, really improves that function of the inhibit, inhibited muscle, and I'll treat it more from a traditional um, manual perspective. You know, I'll do more work with my hands. I'll work more locally just on the muscle itself. I know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does a lot. So, I mean, I'm just kind of trying to visualize. So when you're looking, so you find, you know, an inhibited glute, and then now you're thinking, okay, what meridian might that be related to? And then you right. have a whole, you're just looking at the body, and you have a whole 
bunch of points that you can check now based on that, right? Exactly. It's pretty fun. And there's there's two main systems that I use to try to get my, my, my point process from. So the first is just classical sinew channel therapy. So there is a book called Jingjin, J-I-N-G-J-I-N, by David Legge, L-E-G-G-E. And that book explains sinew channel acupuncture pretty much better than anything I've seen. It's a, I think he's down in Australia. Um, you have to order it directly from him. And he explains there the theory of working locally on a muscle on the tender points and then working on what are called Jing Well points. And those are the points that are on the tips of the fingers and the tips of the toes. So in the ancient texts, they say that the way to access these sinew channels is through the, the fingers and the toes. They're nail points. They're right off the, the tip of the nail. And the thing is, they hurt like crazy if you put a regular needle in. So I use these. They're from Sarin Company, and they're called Press Tacks. And they look like little Band-Aids, and they have a 0.6-millimeter needle in them. And so this is where it gets so fun, Eric, because I can put one of those 0.6-millimeter needles in. People feel zero pain. And then they're safe to move. So I can get them up, and I can do standing assessments. I can do moving assessments. I can do all of that while the treatment's going on, and people are moving. So they're not, I'm not using, you know, real or regular acupuncture needles. I mean, they're needles, but right. they're so small they don't penetrate the top layer of the skin. Or the, the... Uh, and gotcha. Because I've had a patient, a few patients come in, like one guy was doing something for weight loss, and he had some needles and band-aids in his ear or something like that. Yeah, so, this uh, is the uh, same thing. Uh, it's the same idea. Okay. Yeah, no, they're the same same okay. type of thing. And these are actually even smaller than the, the ones they put in the ear. And yeah. they work beautifully for that. So that's one thing. So I'll palpate the Jing Well point. So for a glute, um, bladder 67, which is the nail point on the outside of the little toe, often works really, really well. And sometimes it's the same side, sometimes it's the opposite side, and there's a whole theory for that that we won't get into, but you just check. So it's just as simple as checking. If I've got an inhibited right glute, I'll test it um, with, you know, after I'll TL it on UB67 on the right side, check it, check it on the left side, see if, see which one works, and that's the side I treat. So that's one way, and then there's another book that is popular in our fields. I'm um, called Sports Acupuncture by um, Yoshido. And that book may utilize something called the Meridian Test. And the Meridian Test is a random motion test, and it's not something I use. I actually use all the points that Yoshido prescribes for the Meridian Test with NKT. So again, they're more finger and toe points, and he's got all these sections showing um, what points to test to improve range of motion. So he'll say, well, if your shoulder hurts, you know, try these four points and see which way you can get a greater range of motion. So I've taken that book, used all of his points, um, and just instead of doing his test, I do the NKT test. So between mm-hmm. those two systems and then just things I've found on my own, um, I stay pretty busy but am really effective with it. it. It's just an incredible, it's an incredibly efficient way to treat. No, it sounds pretty amazing. I'll be honest, I'm ready to go... Uh go to acupuncture school now. <laughs> uh, well, if, and, and the thing is, is you can go to acupuncture school, but with your training that you already have, because the points that you need to understand, you know, there's maybe 24 to 36 you'd really need to know, and they're all on hands and feet, and they don't need to have needles inserted. It's pretty accessible knowledge for anybody. Um, not that, you know, maybe you should go to acupuncture school. It is, it is fun, but it's, it's really just about realizing that in our NKT system, we can TL anything, you know, almost anything can, can be contributing to somebody's um, dysfunction and and whatever your field of expertise is, you can probably work a TL into it. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty neat. So now, so you do all this, where does the Pilates uh, come in? How, does that, how do you incorporate now the Pilates, that? The Pilates, I use the Pilates as a way to reinforce the pattern. So let's say... I mean, here's, I've got a couple people I'm doing this for right now. So, you know, they have gluteal amnesia. So they come in with inhibited glutes. And I figure out what's inhibiting them, and I fix that in my treatment room. So, you know, we get them all tacked up with their bladder 67s. We get the inhibited muscles. We put the glutes back online. We clear the facilitation. That's all dandy. Um, I usually book hour appointments. So I can spend the first half hour doing that treatment, 
And then with those needles still in, I take them out to the Pilates equipment, and then we do movement patterns that challenge everything I just fixed. And then we send them home with homework. And then because I have this amazing studio with all these incredible trainers, I just pass them off. Once they're pattern holding, I just refer them to our personal trainers to keep those progressions going. So they get handed off and they keep working in a Pilates environment or, you know, a, a personal training environment too um, to establish those patterns. And if they're not interested in that, then we just give them homework. But instead of just sending people home to do homework, I try to hold on to them a little bit longer in a one-on-one setting. Nice to have, yeah, that is a point. Do people come to you specifically for problems or are they coming to do Pilates and then you just happen well, to Well, the funny thing is, is people sometimes don't know why they're coming in because I've been in the community for about 15 years. So a lot of folks, they mostly are coming in from referrals from their friends. So I would say it's about 50-50 now, people coming in saying, I am dysfunctional. My friend said you can fix me, but I don't really understand what you're going to do. To, you know, people who come in, with very specific ideas, either that they want me to work with them on movement or they want me to work with them on NKT or acupuncture. But a lot of times I just get people who say, I heard you're really great at helping people sort out problems, and they have no idea what we're going to do. So we start talking about tax and Pilates and moving, and their eyes get kind of big, and um, we just tell them to hold on tight. It'll be a, it'll be a fun ride. But, um, yeah, so a little bit yeah. of I I've been working with movement so long. I, I get people who come in and they just – want to get in shape, and I, I tend to not take on too many of those clients, but for the most mm-hmm. part, I'm asked to problem solve now, that's what I'm getting. Excellent. Now, you were, uh, did you run in college, did you say? I did. Yeah. I was a middle distance runner, so mostly 1,500 and 3,000 meters, and then after college, um, I was actually a lot faster right after college than in college, so I kept running and moved up to the five and 10,000 um, on the track, and then ran a really fast half marathon at one point. And then I had babies. Nice. That kind of took my motivation away. But, yeah, so I was a, I was a athlete. Excellent. So do you work with runners now? I work with quite a few runners. I have been very, very fortunate to have been coached by amazing coaches. So my education in the sport of track and field was was pretty fortuitous, too. So my coaches are Olympic-level coaches, and I just stumbled upon them when they weren't in those roles. So I was able to learn how to execute running biomechanics at, a, at an elite level, but I also know how to train it, and I know how to coach it, um, and I know how to correct for it. So I get a lot of elite runners who need some tweaking, um, high school and college as well, they'll come to see me. And then just everyday people who want to run but are experiencing injuries and dysfunction because of their mechanics. So that's something I know a lot about, and I love that. I would say if I could just all day long tweak running form and help people with that, I I would be happy. But honestly, there aren't too many runners who think they need to fix their form. I would make more money, um, you know, working as a waitress. (laughs) Um, there's a few who care, but that's a tough sell. Most runners don't don't right. really value their biomechanics, um, and there are a lot of trainers and practitioners who even say, "Don't change a runner's biomechanics. Don't do it. You're just going to mess them up." And firsthand having experience, and that's not what happened at all. It made me incredibly, incredibly fast and completely injury-free when I overhauled my running form from the bottom up. I overhauled every single element of it at the age of 28. So, and it did nothing except improve my life. So I, I'm a fan for fix it if you want to make it better, even if it's not broken, if you're not broken yet. Um, I, you know, I'm a biomechanics geek, so I, I like to see it pretty <laughs> functional and efficient. Excellent, yeah, because that does seem to be one of the common things these days I've been reading a lot as well, too, saying, oh, don't, you know, don't touch the, you know, don't cue, don't change the biomechanics, but, yeah. Yeah, don't change it, and and I don't understand that. I mean, I understand um, that you have to be careful with it. You know, you have to do it in stages and progressions, and I think you have to have a reason for wanting to change it, but if you look closely at anybody with poor biomechanics, it shouldn't take long to come up with a reason why you'd want to change it. Um, people are wasting a lot of energy, especially these longer distance runners who are running 
you know, five, 10,000 meters, if not half marathons and marathons, and they're just losing, losing power every single stride. Um, you know, I worked with somebody who is an Olympic, well, she's almost Olympic trials qualifier, um, who had completely inhibited glutes. And we're pretty sure they've been inhibited her whole running career. How do you run at a national level with no glutes? And then we found she had no gastrocs, like no glutes and no gastrocs. You'd think hmm. that would be impossible, right? But her form allowed her to scoot along just fine until, you know, eventually she started having knee problems and hip flexor problems and, you know, the, the compensating structures just fell apart. But, you know, the point is you can be fast, but you can't have a long career. Um, so I, I think it's worth overhauling it for longevity. And I can't believe that having, you know, power-producing muscles producing power wouldn't ultimately increase somebody's performance. That. <laughs> I, I, I agree completely. Um, now, you also mentioned um, earlier when we were chatting now that, that you work with children. We um, do. And that's pretty funny. Um, I think the only reason I ended up working with children is because I have them. Um, I, I didn't think I would have the patience to work with children. It turns out <laughs> I do, and I, I enjoy them a lot. So my, my younger daughter is eight. And so she, when I started NKT, she was six. And she has actually been the test subject for every single one of my NKT tests to date. So every Skype session, one, two, and three, has featured Kylie, um, <laughs> my youngster, because it's always in the evening and after a long day of work, you know, she's always there with me. And she'd start piping up with, well, aren't you going to fix me? You know, and she'd point something that hurt. And it's like, well, sure, you know, we'll, we'll fix you. And she gets hurt enough, um, broken wrists and all that, that she's always had plenty for me to work with. So I started with her and then, you know, realized that little kids are amazing to work on because they tell you exactly what's wrong with them. You know, they're, they don't even think about second-guessing anything. So we'll be working and she'll, she'll just she'll tell me exactly what she feels um, and problem-solve, and, and it's, it's a delight. And they get so excited when they feel good. It's amazing to see them own their bodies, too, and start to express discomfort. It took us, and I kid you not, six weeks to buy this child a backpack for school because she <laughs> refused to go to school with anything that felt any less than perfect. Um, and I think that's just, you know, what happens if you grow up in a household where <laughs> NTT and all the biomechanics are going, she's like, this is bad for my shoulder. I will not do it. And, and uh but kids, kids um, well, understand stuff. Yeah, I'm curious. How do they take though with the needles and stuff? How does that? How does that? Well, work? I use. So the great thing is I don't have to use real needles. I use those press tacks, and then mm -hmm. I use a very low grade laser. So uh, there were a couple studies in Japan over the last few years that have shown that you can stimulate acupuncture points with lasers that are roughly the same frequency and power as a laser pointer. You know, the office people laser pointers. They're a little stronger than that, but wow. not much. And so they're not going to work like the type of lasers you chiros use. They're not heat generating, but they mm. do stimulate the points. And they work really well for kids. So I work on the kids with the press tacks that they don't feel, with the lasers. Um, I use my hands. There's, and also there's some tools, there's some blunt tip needles that you can use for acupressure, too, that work really well. Now, children tend to hate the needles, and honestly, their systems are so sensitive, you usually don't need them. I've never once wished I could use a needle. I've always been able to accomplish what I need to just using the, the other less yeah. invasive tools. Excellent. That's, that's, that's pretty neat. And um, what other stuff do you utilize in your practice? Well, you know, I'm naturally curious, so if if <laughs> if it crosses my mind, I've probably tried it. Recently, I've been playing with essential oils. Now, I poo-pooed that for a long time until I started to understand a little bit more about how they react with the skin. And so in acupuncture, in the acupuncture system, um, your skin is your first barrier of your immune system. So the chi that runs through those sinew channels that I work with, that chi is the same chi. It's called Wei Chi, and it's the chi that differentiates your immune system. So the chi that runs through the organs isn't Wei Chi. It's not this defensive chi. It's your source chi. But up on the surface, in your skin, in the space just beneath the skin, and then in the muscles and the fascia, you have this Wei Chi. And 
what I started to play with is this idea that using the essential oils, I could communicate with the skin. Um, research is showing that that's the case, that essential oils cause reactions. They cause immune reactions. They cause repair reactions. Um, there's olfactory receptors in the skin that cause all sorts of wonderful healing reactions just from the application of essential oils. So I thought, well, let's, let's try that. And, you know, sure enough, um, I, I had a psoas come back to life the other day using essential oils on an acupuncture point. Mm. It was just a, it was an experiment, um, and it was great. You know, so mm. I found, I did my assessment, I found an inhibited psoas, and was having trouble finding a strong, a strong neural lock. Um, there were a lot of things that were partial neural locks, some scars, iliacus a little bit. And so I took the essential oil, um, applied it to the acupuncture point that was causing the strongest contribution to, to functionality, and it, it potentiated the whole thing. All, my whole treatment just got better. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be an isolated thing or something that always works, but there's a few there's books out there, and there's, there's, I'm not the first one to come up with that idea. It's mm -hmm. maybe in an NKT setting, but the idea that you can use essential oils to affect more than your nose um, has been out there for a while. So I've been using those trying to think of anything else that's interesting. Um, that's, that's, about, that's about it right now. I use tuning forks, especially when I have folks who don't like needles. I haven't really delved into the whole science of picking which tuning fork. I have a high and an o a low ohm. Those work really well on both directly facilitated structures. So if I'm trying to release a muscle, I can use that. And um, I also use it on the point. They work well for homework. A lot of people are comfortable taking it out. I check them out from the clinic. So, you know, I let people take them home and, you know, I fill their credit card or deposit if they lose it. That hasn't happened yet. So they take them home because they can they can release things that way. If they have something yeah. problematic that I think they're going to have trouble doing their release homework on, the tuning fork can be great, especially for the iliacus. Um, you know, sometimes when you send people home with homework for an iliacus, it's a little much them to pull off and they can get that tuning fork in underneath the edge of the ilium and and it works pretty well so that's 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 the thing i do hmm. that's definitely interesting different um i'm also curious and i know i mentioned to you earlier about visceral type of stuff so have you uh, i'm just curious have you found in like tell me about an interesting case that you might have found that you thought maybe it was you know musculoskeletal and then it turned out maybe it was something you know, deeper in there, and you found that was something deeper. Um, yeah. So, when I think the easiest way to set the scene for this is to understand how viscera will often become impacted, at least in an East Asian perspective. And so, you know, when you have a pathogen, um, and a pathogen can be anything. A pathogen can be a virus, a bacteria, it can be an emotion, it can be a traumatic event, it can be the wind blowing. You know, so we use the term really broadly here. So a pathogen um, is going to try to enter your body through your skin. And it can enter through an orifice, it can enter through the back of your neck, it can enter through a scar, a cut, you know, any chink in the armor, really. And then what happens when that pathogen makes it through that first layer? is your body says, okay, we don't want this pathogen here. Let's try to kick it out. And if it's strong enough and it mobilizes, it kicks it out through the pores or through an orifice. But if it doesn't, it gets in a little bit deeper. And the next place it goes is into the muscles. And if your body's doing its thing, it, it shuts it in the muscles. Um, if it gets past the muscles, so it keeps delving deeper, it's going to get into the blood vessels. Um, and if it doesn't get trapped there, it's going to get deeper still. Um, into the organs. So you've got these lines of defense that your body's putting up, hoping pathogens don't get into the organs. So when I find something in the viscera to be useful, what often is the case is I've also found a pattern maybe in the skin and in the muscle that's not clearing. So, you know, I'll find, I'll find, and it's just not enough. Um, and I just heard a hand raised. Is that you? Mm-mm. Okay. I don't know what happened there. I don't either, but somebody raised their hand. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the pathogen, um, by the time it got down to the viscera, whatever this thing is that's in our viscera has left a trail of dysfunction in its wake. 
that it's hard to clear without going all the way to the viscera. So what that might look like is um, somebody comes in and, well, here's, here's, here's one I was working on all last year that took me a while to clear. So this guy's got, you know, to make a long story short, he's got back pain, low back pain, and we keep seeing these multifidi that are facilitated. So facilitated multifidi, facil- or excuse me, facilitated electrospinae with inhibited multifidi. Okay, that's cool. Also, all of his core in the front um, anterior core is all inhibited too. Well, he pulled up his shirt. There's a great big scar from an emergency um, stomach ulceration. All right, so I think I've got enough to go on. You know, I've got a scar to treat. I found lots of things inhibited. Sure enough, you know, I treat the scar, um, fire up, fire up his core, and he's holding okay. But you know, I see him every week. He's a long-term client, and it's it's not sticking well. It's it's iffy. It, it keeps needing work. It keeps needing me to go back and treat. Well, so I start asking him some questions. Oh, look at that. He's got heartburn. Well, we ask more, what does his heartburn feel like? Well, you know, his stomach's hot, like he's having this acid reflux that it's really coming down to. So that's me going, uh-oh, his, his stomach, his stomach's being impacted, like his stomach has a pattern. And his symptoms were all the stomach meridian. His scar was on the stomach meridian. His... Um, you know, we found all these things on the stomach meridian, the superficial stuff, but now he has an organ piece. So I get in and I treat his acid reflux using deeper meridian points on that stomach channel, and now all my treatments start to lock. And, you know, it's a, it's, I guess the point is, is I got there last. I had to do everything else, but the visceral piece was the last little piece of making things go, and it was mm-hmm. just acknowledging that his stomach had heat in it. His stomach had heat, and the heat was flaring up, and that had to be addressed. And it just as easily could have been cold or it could have had any other thing. But he had a stomach pattern um, that, that wasn't serving him well. And, you know, we could tell a tale of how this all started from his emergency stomach ulceration surgery, but I suspect it goes back much longer. There was a reason he had a stomach ulcer. There was heat mm, in it. So definitely. chicken and the egg, who knows which came which. Um, but at the root of all this, I, I, I had to do something to address the actual organ to get the whole pattern to stick, to really get it to hold. Oh, that's pretty cool, and that makes a lot of sense, and that's what I said. That was really interesting to me because I definitely have some cases where I'm looking, I'm like, God, there's got to be something else deeper going on. And that sounds uh, that sounds like the path I need to um, possibly explore. So I'm definitely interested in uh, learning more of this myself, so I appreciate you sharing those references, those books, um, and then uh, for for NKT providers, uh, I know you have posted a chart. But what what exactly did you post on the on our forum? Um, on the on the forum, I posted the paper I wrote for my senior project. So when I was graduating from school, I did my senior project on using NKT in a acupuncture setting, and so I had to explain it. So it's a nice you know, almost layperson's um, description of things because I had to explain NKT to, you know, a board of acupuncturists who had no idea what it is. So the NKT part is pretty simple, and I, I also tried to break down the acupuncture series well, too. So I kind of what we're talking about now, I went into a little bit more detail. And then I really um, break down the Yoshido book. So that sports acupuncture book has some theories in it, um, that are probably too complicated to go into right now, but in my paper I explain those theories so somebody could get that book and just go start playing with it. It's a fun, fun book, and you don't have to do the M test. I mean, you can do the M test, the little stretchy test, but if you just take his general idea of for every part of the body you find effective, try these four points, just palpate them and see what happens, um, that can change your practice right there. Mm. And you don't have to treat them with needles. The, the chi in the sinew channels is really superficial. You don't need to stick a needle in there to get it. You can use, you can use your hand. You can use a, um, a blunt tip tool. You know, um, people bring me things now. It's really fun. My clients, every time they find something interesting that they think would stimulate a point, they bring me things. So I get rocks and different, like I have a drink stir that somebody brought. You know, I, I have a whole collection now of things to stimulate <laughs> points. Um, because I think people get a kick out of seeing what I'll use. I was at a party a party once, and somebody was not doing well and 
had an upsetting moment, and I used the little um, olive skewer. I don't know what you call them, but they're in martinis, and they're the sharp metal things that <laughs> hold the olive. And I treated a couple points holding that to her skin, and you know, she's a naturopath, and she feels all better. And, and that was that was a fun party <laughs> trick. But the point is, is this is really accessible once you learn the theories. And the theories don't require you to know everything there is to know about acupuncture. It's it's um, Honestly, it's so closely aligned with like, the anatomy trains meridians and some of the other stuff that I think people who are well-versed in myofascia theory um, would pick it all up really quickly. Mm. Not to discourage you from going to acupuncture school, Eric, so that might be a fun adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, with three kids uh, in a business. And I went with two. I know. you got to be careful what you work through because that was my no, I'm not going to go with, with two kids. And then... Somehow that note uh-huh. turned into a yes, and then <laughs> here we are. I can sell you $300 worth of books. I'll sell you $300 worth of books, though. I, I have an addiction to books. Um, and anybody who's listening and wants lists of books, if you just send me a Facebook message, I'll send you lots of lists of lots of books. <laughs> Amazon to give me some sort of cut in all of this. <laughs> I know you should get a percentage after you um, buy so many. You're right. <laughs> exactly. Um, excellent. Well, um, well, that's great. That paper I was just looking at right now, you posted it on the uh, for anybody who's taking uh, NKT Level 2. It's under the uh, file section on the Advanced Scholars page. So uh, excellent. I just downloaded it myself, and I'm excited to relook at it because I know I looked at it once, and I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. But now I definitely have a better understanding of where you're coming from, and I'm definitely interested in exploring that. So um, as we wrap up here, uh, any final words uh, that you'd like to uh, share? Any words of wisdom for new NKT students? I, you know, I think in terms of words of wisdom, I, I think just to, to encourage people to start with what they're good at. Um, I know almost every day I have a, a moment of complete loss of faith because I'll go on to the forums and I'll read somebody's tale of success using a toolkit I don't have. And I just I have this this moment of oh wow I'm such a loser because I could never do that and it's like no 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 they're that's inspiring the people with that other toolkit so you know you're not supposed to read every case and go oh I should be able to do that the reason we share these things is so when you find a, a practitioner with a, a comparable toolkit you can get inspired and learn or maybe even decide you want some other tools but wow we can be so successful just applying. NKT to what we already excel at. You don't have to go completely reinvent your practice. Um, and I know that's that's something that I have to remind myself all the all the time that I I know enough to be successful. I need to keep learning more to become more successful. Um, but with what I do know, this is a great modality to just bring out more efficient practice. So you know, not to get too Excellent. overwhelmed. Yeah, well, that, that's wonderful advice, and I agree, because I, I find myself doing the same thing as well, too. You see people that have different strengths, and it's like, wow, I want to be that person. But you're right, we have a lot that we bring to the table, and we're, and we're helping people with what we're doing, and now we can be more efficient. So, yes, I agree with you 100% on that. So, again, well, thank you for joining me here on Episode 19. It was uh, wonderful. I look forward to uh, meeting you in person, hopefully at the symposium next year. Uh, I know. That's going to be a good time. So cookies. I hear there's going to be a cookie bake-off. You know, that's... I, I, I <laughs> that's keep hearing that right as well, too. To what, what Jamie's going to do. Yeah. I've been trying to represent the West Coast with cookies. We we are bringing those out now, so... I, I hear you guys got some good stuff over there. Um, we have our own uh, Jamie Francis on this side of the country oh. who, uh, you know, um, I can vouch for her stuff is unbelievable. <laughs> so we're ready to bring the fight. But, you know, I also nominated myself very early on and to be a judge. So, um, you know, there I, we I, go. I, that I, was I a can... good move, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I'm Somebody had to do have. it. Right. Yeah, to volunteer, exactly. So, excellent. Well, yes, that's going to be uh, a legendary thing, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully David uh, will listen to this and uh, and, and can keep considering. I know he's considering. Hopefully he will have you uh, teaching something at the symposium because uh, uh, you definitely have a lot of valuable information that I know that a lot of people will be interested in, in, in learning. So, again, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking to you uh, tonight on Episode 19. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we wrap up here is that uh, I'll be teaching a Level 1 in uh, like two weeks in Detroit. There's still some time to sign up for that. I'm very excited to meet uh, 
uh, my guy Sean Kitzman, who I've interviewed on one of my podcasts before. I'm, I'm very excited to meet him. Uh, I'll be in October. I'll be in Arizona for a level one. Uh, we do need some more people signed up for that, so please uh, share that with your friends that are down in that area. Uh, Atlanta registration uh, in October is going really well, so uh, that's definitely confirmed. I'm excited to go down there for a level one. Uh, up in Seneca Falls, uh, New York in November for a level one, where the chiropractic college so I'm uh, very excited to meet some students. Hopefully I can find uh, someone that uh, might need a job because I need to hire uh, some help at my office. Uh, and then lastly, well, not lastly, but I'll be teaching in December another level one in New Jersey. And I'm in the process of finalizing, uh, even though it's not for another year, but uh, we're looking to finalize. Uh, I'll be teaching in the Netherlands in, uh, next October. So very excited about that. Plus, look out for some announcements for level one in Charlotte as well as in Denver. That looks like that's going to be happening in March, and I'll be co-teaching with Noah Drucker. So I'm very excited about that. So a lot of good stuff going on. Cassie's teaching some stuff uh, in uh, New York, Atlanta, uh, Kansas City, and Brock. We got, we got people all over the place. So check out neurokinetictherapy.com under the seminars page. There's a, there's a lot of classes going on all over the world. Uh, again, your your feedback is greatly appreciated, so feel free to send me a message uh, through Facebook. Make sure you like the Inside the Brain Facebook page and, and check out all the episodes on iTunes if you're an Apple person there. Uh, thank you again for joining me tonight. Uh, it was a wonderful interview, and I look forward to speaking to you soon again.